Thanks for checking out the podcast. We've got a good one here for you today. Assistant Chief Jay Shaw will join us from the Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic Service. They have a new drone, and they used it in a fire on Selkirk last night. Jay will tell us all about it. Sandra Altner is the CEO of the Women's Enterprise Center of Manitoba. We'll talk to her about women getting business capital. It's difficult, especially for women. And Robin Paisner, Hal knows a guy, or in this case, Hal knows a gal. She's got a great little business called Fruitables. Robin will tell us all about it. Please rate the podcast and please subscribe to the podcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the podcast. There was a fire on Selkirk. Here is the latest from Global News reporter Joe Scarpelli before we talk more about a drone that is helping Winnipeg firefighters. Here's Joe. A home on Selkirk Avenue is being torn down after it went up in flames last night. Two people are homeless and their two cats are missing. Winnipeg firefighters used a new drone for the first time to assist with the assessment of the fire and detection of hot spots. Selkirk between Parr and Mackenzie Street is expected to remain closed until at least this evening. The cause of the blaze is still under investigation. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. All right, and so to find out more about this firefighting drone, Assistant Chief Jay Shaw joins us on the phone now. Jay, I know you've got a busy day. Thanks for a few minutes for us. I appreciate it. Uh, how are you, Hal? Good to be on the air with you. Yeah, thank you. So tell me about this drone. It's used to sort of evaluate the fire. Is that its main use? It's actually a multi-purpose tool. It's a great piece of technology. So uh, about a year ago, the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service reached out to uh, the city of Winnipeg and uh, looked for some uh, funding through an innovation grant. And we were successful in uh, in achieving this uh, grant money so that we can purchase this drone. Uh, several other uh, departments in North America are starting to use drones for search and rescue and for a multitude of purposes. Drones can be used in emergency management, uh, assessing severe weather situations, uh, flood assessment, water rescues, uh, grass fires, uh, any anywhere where you need some surveillance and you need better situational uh, awareness so that you can get... Uh, right up to the minute uh, tactical information. So last night was our first time using uh, our drone uh, from the Winnipeg Fire Department and the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service, and it and it worked great. We're very happy. So uh, this fire on Selkirk last night, it was used as you got there to sort of take a look at things and so you could decide better how to tackle this fire. Is that primarily what it was used for last night on Selkirk? Yeah, correct, sir. So what happens is, is the incident commander makes a tactical decision uh, about how he wants to run his or her fire. And, and what happens is, is the drone was called for because this was a defensive fire and we weren't going to let firefighters or paramedics or anywhere near that building because there is a risk of structural collapse. So what we wanted to be able to do was get a bird's eye view above the situation and take a look and see what's the thermal profile, how hot is it, what's actually happening, and that really helped our incident commander be able to determine where he wanted to apply water, use the aerial streams, and it actually, he felt like it uh, it gave him confidence in his ability to be able to determine uh, how he wanted to do. Now, we're not going to use it for every single fire. Uh, it's it's Our commanders are trained and our drone pilots are trained, and, and it's it's one tool in the toolbox, but it, 
but we sure are happy that we used it, and it was a it was a good uh, good tool last night. Yeah, you know, Jay, another use I can think of where it would come in real handy is uh, remember a few years ago there we had those big explosions in St. Boniface. Now you can send the drone in to get a look at things without sending humans in there that might get hurt. You you nailed it. Anytime that, that you can use technology to increase safety and leverage that technology, uh, I think that's a good idea. Is the technology there, and you would know better, Jay, I've got a drone. I love these things. They're great. They're, you know, they're fun. And, and uh, But I'm curious to know, are there drones that are big enough to actually be able to dump water and other stuff on fires? Is that technology out there? Not that we'd use it here, but is it out there? So, Hal, I'm, I'm sorry to admit I am not the technical drone expert. I, what I can tell you is that our drone is a commercial drone right. and that it has thermal capabilities to be able to see the thermal profile. Mm-hmm. It has video capabilities. And, uh, and, and, and drones right now are pretty diverse, yeah. uh, you know, all the way up to, you know, uh, using them in, in, in different types of uh, military aspects all the way down to uh, where you can buy them at your, at your local retailer. So right. um, what I can tell you is, is, is ours is a commercial uh, drone and that we meet all the, the requirements in terms of the federal aviation regulations that we have mm. uh, in, in Canada and, and that it's a highly specialized a program and our drone pilots practice for hours and hours and hours and and we're excited about uh, being able to use this tool so uh, we could probably get you more information on uh, on the technical aspects of it uh, but um, you know we have four pilots per shift right now uh, and we can send that drone out uh, and and just like you gave me an example every season in Winnipeg spring winter summer and fall I believe there's going to be uses where we're going to be able to deploy this. Absolutely. And that's fair enough, uh, Jay. I just wasn't sure if you knew or not, because obviously with drones, weight becomes an issue. They can't be dumping a bunch of water, but just helping you decide how you're going to battle that fire. I mean, that's invaluable uh, information. You've only got one right now with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. Any plans for more? So what we will do is we'll utilize this and, and you know, you, you look at your impacts and your analysis and, and you come up with the needs and and if we need more, then it, then it's about putting together a business case. And uh, and and like I said, what I can tell you is what the feedback that we got from the incident commanders on scene, and and the and the surveillance that we were able to see is, is that it was a useful tool. So we're interested to see how versatile and how diverse we can use this thing, and uh, and we're excited to move forward and uh, and to keep playing with it. It's it's pretty cool. Very cool. Thanks for telling us about it, Jay. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Al. All right, Jay Shaw, Assistant Chief, Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. They've got a drone that helps them evaluate and then ultimately fight fires. And they used it in that fire last night on Selkirk. Hal knows a gal. Normally it's Hal knows a guy, but obviously... Uh, Robin is a woman, and so it'll be Hal Knows a Gal coming up after 2.30. And speaking of women in business, another study I mentioned earlier, especially women in business, but I sort of think it's probably men too, but women in business have a real hard time getting business capital, whether that's to start a business or expand an existing business. And so I called up Sandra Altner this morning over at the Women's Enterprise Center of Manitoba to see if she'd come on to talk about it. She is the CEO of the Women's Enterprise Center, 
And Sandra joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Sandra. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. So is this something that women entrepreneurs in Manitoba face, difficulty finding credit, whether it's starting a new business or expanding an existing one? I would say, um, yes, it's true in Manitoba. It's true right across Canada. Women entrepreneurs traditionally have had a difficult time getting startup and development dollars. Is it harder for women than men? Because I would suggest it's probably difficult for male entrepreneurs too. Well, I think startup is is probably as difficult for men as for women, depending on the industry. Uh, but we're seeing in the work that we do, the, the real difficulty is in getting dollars for expansion and growth. Women entrepreneurs traditionally face real barriers to that to the extent that maybe a venture capital, for example, perhaps some seven percent of all venture capital, seven to ten percent, goes to women, as opposed to uh, the remainder, that is primarily earmarked for male-owned businesses. And lots of reasons for that. Lots of background. I mean, thousands of studies have been done about that in the last ten years. I, I think we are seeing a bit of a sea change in that, but it's really slow going. I don't like speaking in generalities, but I will say this. The women entrepreneurs, the women business owners that I know are very good. I would say they're better than the male business owners that I, <laughs> that I know. Is that something that you think is the case? Or is, uh, I mean, we're obviously speaking with a, a broad brush here. That is a very broad brush. And, and I wouldn't say, you know, there's any... Uh, inherent superiority to women-owned businesses than than male-owned businesses. I think women have a different impetus for starting and growing their businesses than their male counterparts, and uh, they they have different visions of success. I mean, there are certainly differences, but it has nothing to do with better or worse. It's really just different. Uh, I would say, however, that um, access to capital has been traditionally difficult for women because of the fact that women uh, start businesses at a different time in their lives with different pressures. Um, Mm -hmm. Women grow their businesses much more slowly and with a different um, expected outcome. Uh, It's not a fast fail or fast forward kind of uh, business development uh, women traditionally have less credibility with investors and and financial institutions than their male counterparts. So, I would say there's no very easy way to talk about this um, or to to point to the the, the variables right. in this. I think it's just the fact that um, we have seen here because as as you probably know, we have lending here up to one hundred and fifty thousand for mm-hmm. women owned and uh, operated businesses right. w- what we have seen is that um, you know there the combination of supports and dollars really makes a difference in the growth of women 's entrepreneurship and patience um, it's it has to be patient money because it takes time to build when you are building to create a legacy or to create an asset as opposed to creating something to flip which is 
probably one of the major differences between male-owned and female-owned businesses. Yes, And again, that's a huge generality, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there are men who are building for the long term and women who who very much want to get in and get out. But what we have seen in the main and in a lot of the academic studies, you know, which are the really – there's a lot of – What's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of um, reliability in those studies and and, uh, proven evidence, exactly. So I think what we're seeing is changes as uh, women are um, more educated about business development, more encouraged to look at entrepreneurship as a possibility, more encouraged to take to um, take risk, um, to take risk in a way that is supported and hedge their bets and build their businesses based on a, a really solid foundation. Uh, you know, and those are the kinds of supports that, that business organizations like our own uh, can provide. We're seeing, as you probably are aware, the um, the uh, recent federal budget has put a, a good deal of money aside to support women's entrepreneurship because it's recognized not only in Canada, but globally that the contribution of women to the economy in business is is totally under-resourced and Mm -hmm. could make such a difference to the national GDP. So that's why organizations like ours continue to receive support from regional development associations, uh, agencies like uh, Western Diversification, but we're seeing that now across the country. And and you will see in the next six months really big initiatives going forward to address things like access to capital, access to markets, Mm -hmm. uh, more women in STEM, more ICT involvement by women, all those things that are in support of of a, a greater and stronger foundation to women in business and to the uh, um, contribution to the economy that we know women entrepreneurs can be making. Yeah. I do find something that you said interesting. You said that the difficulty or the more difficult uh, capital to find is expansion capital after a business has already established itself and making money. And that's the harder money for a woman to find in business. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Why is that? It would seem to me they could look at the books and go, look, it's working. You know, it probably has something to do with the fact that most of the investors are men. Men are more comfortable with other men. Hmm. Men are more trusting of and and see greater credibility in male-owned businesses. It, It is an unconscious bias that has been proven in so many studies to exist. And I, you know, I'm not even casting aspersions here. I'm not. I'm dissing. I'm not dissing right. men-owned uh, venture capital firms. It comes with the territory, and mm-hmm. it's part of our socialization and and the way our Western, well, the way the global society is working to see women as lesser beings in some context. So we it find finds its way into. Um, access to capital just as it does in every other aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. So um, is it right? No. Is it changeable? You bet. And there are men and women working on this now and recognizing the importance of seeing women as equal contributors. That That's really making a difference. And I'm very hopeful in in 
seeing um, changes to the way women serve on boards and women in leadership positions and executive positions and and in growth businesses. I think there are real changes that are happening and that are to be celebrated, and we just have to be aware of those discrepancies and determined to make change. Well, and it's encouraging to hear you say that things are changing, and that's uh, that's fantastic. So if a woman entrepreneur uh, wants cash, can't get capital, I'm sure you've seen some creative women out there. What do they do? They can't get the money to start their business or grow their business. Well, sadly, too many of them go and use credit cards, and um, it, that's not a good way to start because credit card debt is, is really onerous, and it takes a long time to make back the the debt that uh, is incurred. I think that organizations like our own, especially in Western Canada, that have small loans for women who are starting and, and expanding, we, we also, as a a national organization, Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada, has recently signed an agreement with a Business Development Bank to create um, a special kind of funding that's available to women entrepreneurs in both startup and expansion. There are a, a number of lending programs that we're hoping to see down the road, um, which I can't even talk about now, that I'm... Uh, I and my colleagues are working on to make sure that this, what we have in Western Canada through Western diversification, that is access to capital for women-owned and partnered businesses, can be carried right across the country so that it's available in other venues as well. We know that this um, kind of loan fund exists in Quebec, and uh, we're we're trying to um, make sure that our colleagues in other regions have this opportunity. The The advantage to funding for potentially viable businesses through organizations like our own is really advantageous because we do things like um, have um, a, a lot of due diligence. We work on our, with our clients on business plan development. We work with them on aftercare and ensure that the ongoing business management, uh, there's, there's learning there that we can provide that that is a foundation for uh, continued success. We have peer mentorship programs and networking events. Those are the kinds of things that really help to grow women's enterprise over time. So, yes, there are lots of women that go it alone and have the capacity to do that, and we wish them well and, and um, you know, support them when we, when we find them or when they find us. But we really do believe that it's the Women's Enterprise Center of Manitoba, our colleagues right across the country who do this really good work, who are going to make a difference over time to, uh, to see the continued and, and growing success of women's entrepreneurship in Canada. Sandra, I'm glad you talked about you and your organization and some of the things you do because I appreciate your time answering my questions and I wanted to make sure you had an opportunity to talk a little bit about you and, and your organization and what you do. So thank you again. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Helen. Thank you for thinking of us in this call. That is Sandra Altner. She is the CEO of the Women's Enterprise Center of Manitoba. And now, Hal Knows a Guy. Or, in this case, Hal Knows a Gal. And that gal is Robin Paisner. Hi, Robin. Hal, it is a pleasure to meet you. It's been many years in coming, and here we are. Yeah, and I did not realize when I first contacted you about Fruitables 
but you have done radio news for what, 35 years? 35 years in the business, yeah. Wow. Tell me about that. Um, started quite by accident uh, when I was a student at Red River College and started my career actually when this was formerly CKY. Yes. In, this, in the television newsroom. I came in 89. It, I was Ron Abel's news guy here in 1989 oh, oh on my, CKY Radio. Oh, my gosh. And I remember Ron so well. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was mentored by Sylvia Kuzik mm-hmm. and a producer at the time whose name was Ray Cormier, long and short of the story. Yep. I got hired onto CKND TV when they were first signing on the air. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call from the general manager at another radio station who said, I'd like you to be a producer. I can do that. And the rest is history. So, wow. yeah, 35 years at it. And here you are back on the radio again, which is kind of cool. This is great. <laughs> I'm loving it. This is really <laughs> great. It's exciting. You found yourself without a job in radio after all those years. And yeah. you thought, maybe it's time to do my own thing. I wanted to do my own thing. I thought, well, you know what? I've been at it a long time. I'm tired. Maybe I'll retire. That didn't work out so well. I was at it one week and I went, oh, I don't do lunch very well. So <laughs> started looking around for something else to do. Hobbies that I had were cake decorating and baking and that kind of thing, just for fun. And then I thought I could maybe parlay this into a business, started looking around for I need a business.com, found something online that I liked, signed on, and six years into it, now we're we're doing our own thing over on Academy Road. Now you're Fruitables. Fruitables, yeah. And it's F-R-O-O-T-A-B-L-E-S. Unusual spelling, but if anybody wants to know, it's... F-R-O-O-T-A-B-L-E-S. And tell me about Fruitables. What exactly is it? Fruitables is a small business. It's a one and a half person operation, myself and my significant other. And um, we do fruit and vegetable arrangements. Hmm. And it's all fresh. It's never made in the morning, left in the cooler, pick it up at the end of the day. Everything is made fresh to order, trying to get Manitoba produce as best as that we can. Um, because I'm not part of a franchise, I have the ability to set my own prices, um, customize all the work we do. So if a client phones and says, I want something in a red box, okay, go out, find a red box, and we build it to what the client wants. And mm-hmm. it's always fun because it never is the same twice. It's always special to the person that's making the order. I've done Hal Knows a Guy, or in this case, Hal Knows a Gal, for many, many years. And, I know, and yeah. I really believe in local. Why is it so important for us to buy local? It's important to buy local because when you are supporting a small business, they're people that live in your community. They are people that work within your community and try and give back. Mm. And I've done, a, to the best of our ability, a lot of charity work. We were involved with that drive to raise uh, funds and food for the Churchill Christmas uh, event when, right. when Churchill had all that problem over the holidays. Mm. Um, you're part of a community. You're part of a family. And our business is really personal. Mm. So anything that leaves the shop, it's got my signature on it. And I'm really fussy about the kind of work that I do. And I think you get that kind of personal, intimate, one-on-one kind of relationship where you have a first-name basis with your clients. Mm -hmm. And there's always somebody new that comes in that goes, well, I heard about you or I was walking past the shop and it's a small street. So it's nice to have that hands-on experience, and that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. I was talking to somebody else about this the other day, how we're now willing to pay a little more for things to be 
special. And that's kind of what you do, right? You do special in a box, special in a bouquet. Yeah. The thing that's really special about doing what I do is that it's something unique to everybody that that phones. And if it's somebody that has a birthday, um, a wedding, uh, an anniversary, the gift that they are ordering is unique to the person that is receiving it. Mm -hmm. And I like to be able to have something of a personal signature into it. And the luxury that I have is that if somebody, for instance, says, I don't like dark chocolate. Okay, so we don't do dark chocolate. We do milk chocolate or we Mm -hmm. do white chocolate or we do colored chocolate. Um, I don't like cantaloupe. Mm. Okay, so we don't put cantaloupe into it. We put in what the customer wants. And it's nice to be able to create something unique Mm. that way. It's custom, really. It is custom. Mm -hmm. And as far as pricing goes, we're very competitive. In fact, even a little bit less than other places that you (laughs) might go. (laughs) And um, that's what we like about it. And if somebody says, I want to spend X amount of dollars, we always work within that price point. Mm-hmm. You know, some of our arrangements, yeah, they're set prices, but those are our standard ones. Most mm-hmm. of them are just, that's where I start and we build from there. You brought me a beautiful box of oh. chocolate-covered strawberries. Yes, sir. So you do boxes like this, you we, do bouquets. Maybe talk a bit about the different stuff you do. Okay, we do gift boxes of mixed fruit, which, uh, like you said, we do chocolate-dipped strawberries. Or we can put in strawberries and chocolate-coated pineapple that can be plain chocolate or with coconut on it. Uh, We do chocolate-coated apple wedges that have pieces of score bar on it, so it's toffee-coated, kind of like a candy apple in a box. Um, I make my own chocolate caramel apples. Um, The fruit arrangements can be as big or as small as you like. I've done small little ones in a teacup, and I've done... A wedding one we did a couple of years ago that was six feet tall. Wow. Yeah. Six feet of fruit. Yeah, it was all strawberries. And oh, man. it was it was a labor of love. It took four of us almost a day to do it. But it was it was great. And mm. the bride and groom, it, it was something special to them what they wanted. And we had their uh the bride's wedding flowers incorporated into it. So it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. Mm-hmm. But it's never the same twice. Because yeah. nobody's the same. And now here you are six years later after that transition from a 35-year <laughs> career in radio news and now Fruitables. Yeah. How has it been? It's been an up-and-down adventure. I mean, there are days where it's so busy you wish you had six pairs of hands. And there's days when it's quiet. But I do a lot of research. I like to keep on top of what's current in trends. So I, I'm on my computer a lot and seeing what is happening in other cities, what is happening in other parts of the country, um, in the States, in Europe, in Australia, and just to see where, where things are going um, and experimenting with things. I've done chocolate dip strawberries that we've infused with uh, Grand Marnier and with white wine mm. and trying to keep on top of what's going on and something special and unique. And our best source of information is from our customers because they're the creative side of it. They they know what they want. And if I can do it, I'll make it happen. I really, really try to make it happen for someone. I got a phone call. You were on your way. You had to turn around and go back to the store, which is fine. I understand that. But maybe talk about that, you know, going from working for somebody else, having an end time to your day. And now I know how it is in business. It's 24-7. You never stop. Oh, you you can't. Um, You're either doing it, planning it, thinking about planning about doing it, or you're there. And... 
there is no time frame that you work in. If somebody wants an arrangement, uh, I'm doing one for somebody on Friday. It's a real estate agent. And then she is giving a fruitable as a gift to her clients who are going to become new homeowners. Mm. And they're taking possession of their house at 7.30 on Friday morning. And she wants it for 7.30. I'll be in the shop at 6. you got to do it, yeah. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. again, like I said so many times, it is a labor of love. And if something from my shop can make somebody smile if they're, you know, if they're having a bad day or if it's a celebration. We also do a lot for sympathy arrangements. Mm. And people have called and said, is this appropriate? For, for a condolence gift. And I always mm-hmm. tell them it's absolutely appropriate because you can't eat flowers. And while flowers are really beautiful, mm-hmm. sometimes people going through a tough time yeah. don't think about eating. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a, an arrangement of fruit. And we do vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, what do you do with the vegetables? The vegetables kind of are different. done in a bouquet as well. Mm. And there's... A, a mixture of broccoli and tomatoes and peppers. I've done one that I call the Manitoba Social. And it was, again, done for a wedding social. And I thought, what goes in a wedding social? Well, in Manitoba, in Winnipeg, it's kubasa and cheese. So we put one together in a big bouquet, and it had kubasa, locally sourced from um, Winkler, and carrots, celery, and tomatoes. And we had dip and cheese, and we sent it out the door. And it was very popular, so I get a lot of orders for that I'll now. I'll bet. How cool is that? Oh, no, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And it's a good good way to get something healthy into you. You know, it presents really nicely, and it really tastes good, and it's good for you. So there's the total package. Well, I was getting emails, and people were telling me about Fruitables. I had to meet the person behind uh, Fruitables. Robin, it's a pleasure to meet you. It has been a pleasure to be met, Hal. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, here. and good luck with Fruitables. Thank you so much. You need something done? Hal knows a guy. Or, in this case, a gal. Hal knows a gal. Very nice meeting Robin Paisner. As I said, that was done a while ago. She actually, I called her today to say, hey, I'm you know finally going to air our chat, and she is on holiday. So I will tell you that Fruitables will be open for business again August 24th. 